Shall we begin? Let's begin now. Hi, this is Muffin McGraw, head coach at the University of Notre Dame, and you're listening to Dishin' and Squishin'. Hi, everybody. It's David Siegel, and I'm pleased to welcome you to this week's Dishin' and Swishin' podcast as we are ready to put a wrap on what was an exciting NCAA tournament. It's always interesting and exciting when you get a new champion. Congratulations to Don Staley and the South Carolina Gamecocks for their victory. And it is a pleasure to welcome a first-timer to the Dishin' and Swishin' podcast, someone who I have idolized and Honestly, you know what? I've had Pat Summit on. I've had Gino. Doris Burke is one of the people that I had a really hard time getting up the nerve to come up to and asking to appear on my little podcast because she is just the best out there when it comes to covering all facets of the basketball game, men and women. And, you know, it is a pleasure to welcome Doris Burke to Dishin' and Swishin'. Hi, how are you today, Doris? I'm doing great, and you waited far too long to to ask me to be on this, but I'm delighted, absolutely delighted to be with you. Well, I definitely did because of the news that came out earlier today that you are going to be leaving us and focusing on some of your duties with the men's game now because I can't say that I blame you. That travel schedule that you have between bouncing between these has to just be unbelievably grinding and uh you know every you got to make decisions sometimes right yes and i have loved my time it's been 30 years as long as i've been broadcasting obviously my entree into the field was uh providence college radio uh, many times over a phone line david uh and i would have to do both the play-by-play and the color on on those particular games but it was great Great training for me. You know, you have to be so much more concise in a radio environment and a radio call. And then, you know, I would say the formation of the WNBA really changed opportunities for women in terms of sports broadcasting, in particular if you were a basketball announcer. And, you know, it's it was such a heart-wrenching decision for me, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, there are times where, you know, the winter is incredibly, as you say, hectic and grinding and I had always thought over the last several years I had called my last Final Four, but I love the people who are so passionate at ESPN about the project. I love them as professionals, as people, and I most certainly am indebted to women's basketball on every level, and so I kept coming back. And uh, But, you know, at some point you cross the threshold and you just like, okay, you might want to add a little bit of sanity back into your world. And I thought this might be a good time. Yeah, I can't, like I said, I can't say I blame you. I mean, as a matter of fact, just so our people know, you know, of course, last night was the championship game in Dallas, and currently you are in San Francisco ready for an NBA game tomorrow. So, and that's, yeah. and that's just, you know, the, the, the tip of the iceberg. Yes, you know, my schedule won't ease up really, David, as you know, until the NBA Finals are over, and that's, um, you know, sort of mid to end of June. Um, so, yeah, I mean, listen, I'm, I, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm complaining because I certainly am not. I'm just, uh, you know, all of us try to achieve at some point in our life some level of work-life balance. And uh, But, you know, how cool is it that Dawn Staley, uh, who has done such an extraordinary job building that South Carolina program brick by brick, 
you know, comes away with the ultimate prize in her sport. I, I said last night on the broadcast, and I'd be interested in your take, frankly, David, <clears throat> I think she may be the most important young coach in the country. I say that. Yeah, I say it because, you know, we need a we need a legitimate rival to the University of Connecticut. Obviously, um, Mississippi State, the incredible shot by Morgan William, which I'm sure will kind of break down. But, you know, we need someone who can consistently beat Connecticut, who can go step by step with Geno and, you know, sort of get the rivalry like it was back with Pat, the great Pat Summit in Tennessee and all of that compelling storyline. I agree with you. And part of that also is it, it is ironic that, you know, Gino and, of course, Don, both Philly people, but South Carolina being the institute that it is, there, there's a different vibe there than there is with Connecticut and the Northeast. You know, Notre Dame has been a tremendous rival for UConn and Coach McGraw also from Philly. But that's another north. There's a difference between the north and the south, as you well know. And I agree with you that Dawn and that program is a perfect foil for Gino and the Northeast and of Yukon. So, so I do agree with you. I think that she is so important. And that's not even just discussing the fact that A, she is a woman coach and B, she is an African American coach. Uh, yeah. that's, that story yesterday that came out about her having the piece of net from Carolyn Peck was phenomenal to hear. Yeah, I, I loved it, uh, and I am not surprised. Anyone who knows Carolyn Peck knows that, uh, you know, she is a tremendous human being and uh, and thoughtful and wants the growth of the game, but in particular, and probably, you know, appropriate that we talk about it, you know, that that women get get an opportunity and continue to uh, to grow and to coach and to mentor young women. It's important. You know, the, you know, one thing. Let's briefly touch touch on that that little little firestorm that Gino started with his comment about women not wanting to coach as much, and that was part of it. Now, obviously, a lot of the pieces of the quote were omitted when people, you know, when he was talking about there are greater opportunities elsewhere, and that coaching is a very difficult job. That why would people want to do it? But you know, there does seem to be a little bit of a gap between. You know, there's Dawn, there's Coach McGraw, but but who is the next great woman coach to take on the mantle and move into that upper echelon? Those they seem to be head and shoulders above anybody else right now. You know, I, I agree with that. You know, obviously Brenda Fries, I think, is terrific, and I, I listen. I you know, I, I think Gino's con- uh, quote was taken out of context, certainly, because I and then I, I read it in entirely and in its entirety, and I was thinking, my goodness gracious, what is he doing before, you know, when I got the snippet. And, um, and listen, I think that we need to be vigilant in examining the hiring uh, practices of major college athletics. We have to, across the board, all sports, you name it, and there are increasingly opportunities for women in a, in a variety of different roles. You know, you're looking at Becky Hammond getting the opportunity with the San Antonio Spurs. That has to continue to happen. I think those in the hiring process have got to continue to broaden their perspective, to be looking for other voices. Um, so that's one thing. I don't know who the next generation of coaches is. At the same time, um, I would tell you, having covered – uh, Oregon women's basketball this year, 
you know, Kelly Grace has a tremendous assistant coach, and he happens to be a young male. Yeah. And I, if I'm an athletics director, I have that name in my uh, in my Rolodex. So I'm not necessarily saying that we've got to hire women across the board in all of these head coach positions. I just have to just want to say we have to be mindful and vigilant watching the hiring practices of athletics directors. I, that I agree completely with you, and that's something that I've talked about in the past is that, you know, maybe part of it is the fact that I am male, but I really don't have much of a problem with male coaches in the women's game. Uh, and I've been taking the task from that some. But as one, my big thing has always been hire somebody that's qualified. And the perfect example, right. you know, look, look at Arkansas now. A couple of years after hiring a coach with no women's experience at all, they go out and get one of the best young coaches uh, around in Mike Neighbors. Correct. <laughs> That's correct, and and you want guys like Mike Neighbors to keep, excuse me, <coughs> to be to be rewarded for their hard work, just like an associate head coach like Mark Campbell at Oregon should be rewarded. But let's just be opportunistic and aggressive, you know, as we continue to mentor young women. Uh, and I'm with you. I, I want the best person for the job. I played for both a man and a woman during my collegiate days at Providence College. When Sheedy was the woman, Bob Foley was the man, and we had more success under Bob Foley. Um, and obviously that's what every every athlete is striving for. You know, Jeff Manzoni has talked to me about the NBA, and he always says, and I think this is true across the board, like players want to know that you have a plan and that your plan can get them where they want to go. And I don't think they're, they care about the gender as long as you can get them where they want to go. Can you make them better as basketball players? You know, can you help them win the high high level? That's the question. Now, the one thing that, just going back to Dawn, to put a little cap on this part of the conversation, the one thing that will be interesting to see is the success she had. You know, obviously, Asia Wilson is crucial in the fact that she's the local girl that stayed home. You know, and I've always said that Nikisha Sales was the most important person that UConn ever got because she proved that she could have gone anywhere and decided to stay and be in Connecticut. But they did do it with transfers, and it'll be interesting to see how the recruiting goes with South Carolina. You know, you look at you know Geno's recruiting and Muffet's recruiting, and you know even Tennessee, the you know has top recruits now. You know, South Carolina is going to have to keep it going with recruiting. Now, I'm sure that Dawn, with a national championship in the Olympic coach, on her resume, you know, in the last two months, is going to certainly have a little bit even more success than she's had before. But that's going to be crucial, I think, to their success is she's going to have to get out and get those uh, the top players again. No, I agree, and and uh, that was something we touched on briefly in the broadcast is that you, you you've got to take this now and and experience a bump. It's just like any Final Four year program usually gets a bump in recruiting because there's visibility and there's media coverage, and you get some juice from that. And you certainly you certainly have to take advantage of it because you know what. And, and Muffet would say it, Brenda would say it, Gina would say it. You have to recruit at a high level. You need the best players to, to win consistently, period. You can get to a certain point, and this is what fascinates me about Mississippi State because, you know, he has done an incredible job. He doesn't have a single All-American on his roster, high school All-American on his roster, Vic Schaefer, 
and he's built it, and now he's advanced to a Final Four. How hard will it be for him to sustain that level of success? David, I heard Andy say in our production meeting, Andy said he thinks that because of the way the program was built and the foundation and the kind of system it is, that Vic is uh, built to sustain that level of success. You know, I, I want to see that because, as you say, he, he, now you're recruiting up against South Carolina, Tennessee, uh, and other programs that now have success to sustain for longer times. It's just, it's a fascinating thing. I would just say coaching is really, really hard. You know, and one thing about Mississippi State, I'll be the first to admit that I owe them apologies because all season I kept saying, I I don't see it. I don't see why these guys are top ten. They didn't play a particularly difficult out-of-conference schedule. You know, they, I, I, they, can't, they couldn't score through most of the season. And I, I'm just like I said, yeah, they played D, but okay, so do a lot of other people. But then, right. you know, but then they managed to tweak things and move things around. You know, and really the the perfect comparison I can give is is he they remind me of Texas A and M where he coached for so many years that I always look at that roster and say they're not very good, and then there they are winning some big games and making the tournament each year. You know, so so maybe he does have the ability to sustain it and, and build on this. We'll see. We shall see. And I, and I remember this distinctly when Sherry Cole went to her first Final Four, and she said to me. I don't want to be a coach who, you know, this is a one-trip wonder here. We we want to build our program to sustain. And, you know, I, it, listen, trying to do that, uh, it's difficult. Um, it, it's it's a 365, you know, job. You, you can never, it feels like these coaches can never take a breather to me with the recruiting aspect, the summer school, um, <clears throat> all of it. All of it. You know, think about the job Dawn has done building that fan base. All of the, the reaching out she has had to do to the community. I, I did a, a game there, and they had me do this uh, chalk talk with their fan base uh, at Colonial Life Arena. And I have to tell you, David, I, I think there were probably 200 people in a room uh, up above the, the playing surface. And I was absolutely stunned at the quality of questions at the investment that community had clearly made in Dawn's program, it was it was really a sight to behold. I have to tell you, it was pretty cool stuff. It really is impressive. That's what, I mean. It really is the way that they they've done things down there, and the way that Dawn has taken advantage of the tools of the trade that are out there now. Social media, you know, being out constantly talking to their friend, their fans. And such, and singling people out and responding. I mean, she she is phenomenal at what she does, and she always had that energizer bunny, you know, ability to to constantly go, and she's still doing it. So it is fascinating to see. But let's talk for a second about Mississippi State, though, and let's talk about them getting there. Now, people, you know, look back at yesterday's game, and you know, they they. Seem to forget not only did they have to beat top seeded UConn in overtime just before that, but even the weekend before they beat top seeded Baylor in overtime. So, so this was a, a team that had really gone through the ringer, and I, I'm not that surprised that they were sort of out of steam yesterday when they finally got around there. But everybody is also talking about the whole uh, Morgan William 
dynamic and her being sad. Now that you guys spent a good amount of time talking about that as well, uh, and rightly so. But whether you're personally, what what do you think? You've been a point guard. You've been through ups and downs when you've been on the court. To to not have her play at all in the fourth quarter still strikes me as maybe it was a little bit harsh of a decision. I agree. I and I felt as a broadcaster that I fell down, quite frankly. You know, you always examine your performance post game. There are a couple of things I I do over and that's fairly typical, uh, getting off the air. You know, I once had Mike Patrick, I was beating myself up after a game once. And he said, Doris, the day I call a perfect game, I will leave the headset on the table and walk away. But, but one thing I, I felt I really fell down on, we discussed it, but it is my job to offer opinion. And I didn't really do that. And, and I will tell you what my opinion is now. My opinion is uh, I believe Morgan Williams gave them the best chance to win. Now, that's the head coach's decision and he is better acquainted with his team and the nuances, and he's been there every day from, you know, the formation of his program. So he's entitled to make that decision. The man advanced to a Final Four and has had so much success. But to me, I, I did wonder, and I was, specu- you know, I'm trying to process it in my head as the game is ongoing and you're trying to keep up with action, and you're sitting there going, what is going on? But to me, David, my opinion is this that unless Morgan William were hurt, that you needed to give her another opportunity in the fourth quarter, not only because of the kind of equity she had gained with her teammates, but the kind of effect it would have on her opponent. You know, Jazz is, Jasmine Holmes is, is tremendous. She's got great speed, and their system is set up in such a way um, that, you know, anyone can play, you know, that their, their depth is one of their greatest advantages, um, I, I just didn't understand it, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I didn't understand it. And I, I wish I had been a little bit stronger on that point on the broadcast. Morgan Williams got, got you there. You don't get to the Final Four without the career high 41 and the masterful handling of the number one seed, Baylor. And then for her to hit the game winner against Connecticut, to, to go without a turnover, I believe, in the minute she played against Connecticut, I, I just don't understand it. Yeah, I mean, we're not dealing with a you know a first team All American. You know, it's not Asia Wilson out there. It's not you know Gabby Williams. But you ride the hot hand. I mean, she had not scored against the Paul, and then she turned around the next game against Baylor and had that incredible game. Uh, now, you know, all props to South Carolina's defense uh, against her. But you know, once it got down to cut down to four there in the fourth quarter, and Vivian's was still having a horrendous shooting night. Yeah, I would have thought that having that other option would have been something that, I don't know, I, guess, I kind of thought it was kind of obvious personally, but, you know, Vic does what Vic does. Right. Right, and the other thing I, you know, we were we were marveling. I was, you know, telling the story on the broadcast, um, you know, we were at, you know, we're always at practices between the national semifinals and the final, and I've never seen a coach use the entirety of that time. And Holly Rowe had done such a tremendous job, you know, documenting the difference of the, the practices between South Carolina, which went very light and obviously would need to go lighter than Mississippi State because of, you know, they don't play as many players. Um, 
but I, there was a drill Vic Schaefer was doing. It was sort of a boxing out drill. It wasn't near the rims on either end of the court, but near near merely at the center center line. And there's six bodies total doing this drill, and bodies are crashing as people are trying to prevent one another from touching the basketball in what is a very kind of common rebounding drill. And I'm thinking, I am absolutely terrified after watching Alicia Gray get six stitches over her eye at the first open practice for South Carolina. I'm thinking, oh, my God, please don't have anyone from Mississippi State hurt at this practice. Well, you're right. Yeah, that's. You know, and, and and there is no question, you know, to, to, you know, we can't overlook the fact that she did look tired. She did look beaten. When they, when Holly talked to her at halftime, she sounded like she was done. But yeah. you, you got, you know, and that and that's to be, you know, you, these are still kids. You know, and, and sometimes it happens. But, yeah, it, the whole thing did seem a little bit strange there when, when you were offensively challenged. You know, when, when you're relying on Billingham to be making the shots and, you know. Right, right, who was terrific, by the way. And the other point I wanted to make is, and you, you, you said it, you know, she was exhausted because of the physical demands that were placed on her and the emotional win against Connecticut, the journey, the hard path. The other part I wondered, did it play a part in, and we were discussing this last night post-game, the incredible amount of media attention. I mean, Morgan Williams was mentioned by the great gymnast. Morgan Williams uh, opened Good Morning America, somebody told me. Like, there was this incredible media crush on little itty-bitty people. She captivated their imagination. And what toll did that also add? Because there is something to that. No question about it. I mean, that, you know, with, well, let, let's go and then talk for a second. The other one that you can go back to when you look at her sitting is, no, granted, Vic thought he had the bench, and Gino doesn't, but, you know, Nafisa Collier certainly struggled in the, in the semifinal, and Gino didn't give a second thought to taking her out at any point, and she rewarded him with some, some good baskets in this, in, in the, in the second half and in overtime. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that's just more experience. You know, maybe, maybe Vic will learn from this, from being in the his first Final Four. You know, I, I'm not sure. Well, I guess we'll have to see how much of that comes into play. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk for a second. Let's, let's move over to South Carolina then and talk about the way that they played yesterday. You know, again, the other thing, I mean, it seems like we're I'm focusing, uh, you know, on these little bizarre questions, but... You know, the other one that's out there, and you guys were really pretty good about jumping on this one, was what was up with Elena Coates not being around for the whole NCAA tournament and all, and, and being so distant? It, it just seemed very bizarre. I mean, I understand with transfers, you know, you know they, they have to pay their own way. They, NCAA won't cover transfers coming, but they will injured players, and yet there was no sign of Elena Coates. Right, like this is an unusual circumstance. In fact, in my, I mean, gosh, I think I'm at three decades now, I've never seen a situation where an injured player, particularly when you're advancing to what is such a rare accomplishment or for many programs a rare accomplishment, you know, advancing to a Final Four, I've never seen a kid, regardless of the severity of the injury, we've seen kids with ACLs, broken feet, you name it, they come to the tournament. Uh, and rightfully are, you know, connected. I will also tell you that we sit down privately with each team. And 
when we asked about the absence of Elena Coates, uh, and again, this is just our observation and our interpretation, it seemed like, you know, there was a little sort of looking at each other, you know, how do we answer this? And then one of the South Carolina players said, you know, no, she, she texts us or tweets us or something. Um, but it's, there was something there. And what that is, we may never know, because to me the best programs keep those circumstances in-house. Um, I know that our our pregame show addressed it perfectly because Rebecca and Andy offered opinion without conjecture. They just simply made observations. And, again, we are, to a certain extent, um, limited by either the communication from the institution or from the individual parties involved. And with, without that, then it's our job to go to just, observe and make make our opinions felt it was strange there's no question about it come on there's something there what it is we may never know well she she did tweet yesterday I yeah i can't travel because the medical staff said so i you know and the only, the only time i've ever seen somebody with an with a lower extremity can't travel is if you have a blood clot issue or something that they don't want you on a plane so i i mean i you're right. Something is not adding up here. I hope that she's okay. I hope that she's okay with the program and the program's okay with her and that she goes on and has a wonderful WNBA career and that she enjoys the ring that she's going to get. Agreed. Agreed. And I loved, absolutely loved and thought it was classy and pure dawn to, hey, hey, Lele, we, you know, we got you a ring. That was a very cool moment. Yes, no question about it. So. You know, looking at the game in itself, you know, two players dominated the game, and but it's been that way. For, it seems that South Carolina always has two players dominant. Either it's Wilson and Davis, Davis and Gray, Wilson and Gray, or and Coates when she was involved too. This one was this was Gray and Wilson, and the two of them are so, played such incredible games. Let's start with Asia Wilson. I had thought preseason, you know, before Kelsey Plum had the a year for the ages, Wilson was going to be National Player of the Year. She proved that she is clearly at the very top of players in the country yesterday. There is that is unequivocally, without a doubt, true, and she'll have a great chance to repeat uh, because of all you know the talent that they returned if all the parts come back and. You know, Alicia Gray, well, let me stick with Asia. You know, what I admired about her performance over the weekend was in the national semifinal, and you know this, Tara is one of the great game planners uh, in women's college basketball. You know, she comes in with a very well-thought-out, well-scripted plan that her kids, you know, implement to the greatest degree their, their physical attributes will let them. And they were tremendous. It felt like Asia Wilson never lacked for company against Stanford. She was always playing in a crowd. And what distinguished her that night, in my mind, was the athleticism and the length. Because to corral those 19 rebounds, for her not to get frustrated in the face of what was tremendous physicality, there was a replay that I don't think made air where someone on a box out on a free throw kind of used an elbow and really, I thought, delivered a message to Asia early in the game, like, hmm, you better get comfortable with contact because we're going to be coming at you. And I just thought her patience 
you know, was was she perfect? No, there were some turnovers, of course, but I think that's to be expected. But her patience uh, and and the attributes of athleticism and length, right? Because Stanford was crowding her so that her skill on the offensive end wasn't on perfect display. Now fast forward to the national championship, and everything came together. Her face-up ability, the efficient use of a dribble, the, the low post game, the rebounding dominance, the length, everything. And more importantly, you know, you have to be willing to meet the moment and be the star that you are. And she was. And so I couldn't, I just thought Asia was absolutely tremendous. Uh, take the pearls off of Asia Wilson, and you better look out. Uh, and then Alicia Gray, uh, just could not be more impressed with the young woman because, you know, sort of an understated soul, very quiet in her demeanor, very content to be, uh, you know, the quiet assassin for them. And the fact that she would be willing to absorb the matchup she had to, to endure at the four spot, to all year long to me, make some of the most timely plays crucial to winning in the biggest games uh, is really something to admire. And they were both special. And what a memory for two great friends. Just awesome. I think that you're gonna, we're not going to see the best of Alicia Gray until she gets to the WNBA. Because then in the, with the difference in game, I think that Alicia Gray's all those little things that you're talking about and the timeliness will make will make her into an all star. You know, right now in college basketball that that stuff gets overlooked sometimes because of the other performances by people and effects of the all American status or whatever. But I think that Alicia Gray is gonna have an all star career in the pros when she decides to go. Well, I look forward to watching that. Let's hope the finals of the WNBA are as good are as good as they were last year. That isn't that the truth, and then of course there were Kayla Davis as well, and you know we could talk about all the, you know the the biggest question with Davis and and Gray, I guess, are will they come back? It it still seems strange to me to be having that discussion though with with the women's game, talking about people leaving, but while they still have eligibility, when they could still be uh, working towards higher degrees and such. Yeah, listen, I. Uh... I, I like that they have the opportunity. We, we, Rebecca Lobo was being interviewed by Doug Feinberg, and he, and he, you know, he was talking about the juniors, the eligible juniors who were coming back. And he said, "This is a good thing, right? That we that we're actually having to talk about this." And and Rebecca's take on it was, "Yeah, but, you know, pretty good." I guess it goes to what you value and what you think is important. And uh, you know, listen, all of us want opportunity to 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 do what we love and to try to get compensated well for it. Um, I'll be I'll be interested. I don't know about you, David, but uh, I was pleasantly surprised to see Diamond Shields going back to uh, Tennessee. I was. That was the one that I thought was going to go. I thought that Mitchell would return with the Final Four being in Columbus and her father being on the coaching staff. No. I did not expect the Shields. That, that is for sure. But that's good. You're right. You know, I think it's a good thing we're talking about, especially with the recruiting cast that they have coming in. And, uh, you know, let's see, give, let's fully, uh, arm Holly and see what she can do next year. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. Because you know what touched me about Holly, you know, for whatever reason, maybe because this is the first Final Four since the passing of the Great Pat Summit, Holly, um, I just, she is such a nice person, you know. She's she stepped into such gigantic shoes 
with the weight of expectation and doing it without her mentor and best friend and all of those things, uh, I'm, I'm pulling for, for Holly Warlick, I can tell you that. Yeah, me too. I, I've always found her pleasant to be ta- talk to. Uh, you know, I, I would not want to be the person to step into that job. You know, I, yeah. just like I wouldn't want to be the person to succeed Gino. Correct. You, know, you that, want to be the follows the, that person. You know, the other one is I, I don't know if I'd want to be the person that follows Doris Burke. Huh. I don't know about that. There are many talented young uh, women broadcasters, to be perfectly frank with you, and I'm so I, – I get so excited I see talent out, out and the increased opportunity for young broadcasters. I, I get such a kick out of it. Well, you know, you have certainly laid down – how it's supposed to be done. I mean, you, you've shown, you know, I, I always kid around. I think that the, the best way you can tell how, how a uh, color announcer is doing their job is when I go after the Mississippi State game and I go to the message boards and people are complaining about you being so pro-UConn. And I sat there with my wife, kept saying, is, Do- is Doris going to ever talk about anything against, uh, but against UConn? <laughs> and I said, you know, there you go. That's how, that's how you know that you're doing it right. Nobody's happy. <laughs> Nobody's happy. So let me tell you a story that, and, and I always tell young broadcasters this, do not involve yourself in the chatter of fans. So I remember the first NBA finals I worked, it was in Los Angeles. And I'm the sideline reporter, and I walk, I'm walking around the bottom of the arena, as, you know, my job requires me to do. And I had, you know, probably four different fans. And they were both saying, they were all saying, why does Jeff Van Gundy hate us? <laughs> why, you know, and, it, and it's completely 180 degrees. And I have to laugh because I'm like, guys, you know, Here's what announcers want. We want a well-played game with players making plays at the end, preferably in a possession ball game under a minute. And that's all we're looking for because, you know, we want it to be competitive, well-played, entertaining to the viewer. That's our only investment in this. And I always... I always joke with Megan Como that she's my hero because anybody that can fill that much airtime in UConn games. This... No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> well, Doris, I want to thank you, first of all, personally, for everything that you've done for women's basketball, covering the game the way that you have, and being part of the groundbreaking of the announcers. You're right. Right now, I look at the, the crew that's at ESPN doing – you know, these games and also the SEC Network games and all of the other ones out there. And this is by far, in my opinion, the best group that I've ever seen there. They're, everybody's qualified. Everybody knows what they're talking about. Everybody seems to enjoy their jobs. And, and you know, it's people like you that got that started, you know, being a, per, people that put in the time to know the game, make sure that it's treated as a professional sport, not, you know, our girls – playing something, it's treated like, you know, when I mean professional, you know how I mean that. Uh, And and I think that you've done it. You've laid the groundwork for everybody that's going to come after. Well, uh, 
I don't know about that. I know I have been incredibly lucky to have been given a lot of opportunities over the years. And I would say the one thing I've always thought of was don't screw it up for the woman who might come behind you. So <laughs> hopefully that's the case. But, uh, no, David, I've been incredibly lucky to, uh, you know, to, to call the games I, I have. And it's a bittersweet moment for me leaving a game that I played, that I coached, that has helped me to build a career and, uh, and so my sincerest thanks to the players and the coaches who have shared their stories and their journeys and, you know, absorbed sometimes observations that aren't always pleasant but that are my job to provide opinions and, and, and you know. It's my pleasure to have had you on the show, and especially on a day when you've traveled like you have. Uh, if you get, I hope that you will now have the opportunity to go look at social media and see the outpouring of affection from people that is on there towards you after the announcement today of you ending your women's basketball coverage days. So, Doris, thanks again for everything, and thanks for taking the time. And, and enjoy uh, enjoy Golden State tomorrow night. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Be well.